Welcome back to the Santa Cruz Baptist Podcast. I'm Tyler Hurst, one of the pastors here, and I'm with Drew Cunningham. And in this podcast, we're going to be discussing Drew's sermon on Daniel chapter 9. Uh, so, Drew, would you give us a brief overview of Daniel 9 and then uh, tell us what you hoped people took away from your sermon? Yeah. So, Daniel 9, uh, it's another flashback. He uh, is back to the first year of Darius. So this is after the Babylonian kings. Um, And he's reading along in the prophet Jeremiah. And reading there, he sees that there's going to be 70 years uh, of exile, and then they'll be returned to Jerusalem. And so in light of that prophecy, in light of that truth, uh, he begins to pray. And the bulk of Daniel 9 is the content of Daniel's prayer. Um, And then at the end... Gabriel shows up in the midst of his prayer and gives him a prophecy that, as I shared in the sermon, is quite confusing. And there are so many different people that have different interpretations of that prophecy. Um, So we looked a little bit at his prayer, and we said that it was shaped, uh, first and foremost, by the Word of God. He's reading in Jeremiah, prompts him to pray. Um, And the, the content, he... Uh, does both what we call adoration and then confession. So he uh, spends time praising God for who he is, and then he confesses the sins of of his people. Um, but he doesn't just do it in a, they are sinful, they are sinful. He uses the term we mm. um, and our. Um, so he, he kind of steps in as an intercessor and intercedes on behalf of God's people. Um, And I think that's one thing that was so encouraging, um, just to think about how Daniel points us towards Christ. That Daniel, uh, we learned in a previous chapter that people tried to get dirt on Daniel and they couldn't, said that he was blameless. Mm -hmm. And yet here he is confessing sin, kind of taking on the sin of God's people in the same way that Christ did that on our behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about 2 Corinthians 5, 21, um, you know, he who knew no sin became sin mm-hmm. um, so that we might receive the righteousness of God. And so Daniel is a precursor to that here in, in Daniel 9, um, interceding for us in the same way that Christ intercedes for us. Um, and so in the midst of his prayer, Gabriel shows up, gives him some incredible encouragement. He says, Daniel, you are greatly loved, Mm -hmm. and then gives him hope in this vision. Um, And while the when of this vision is confusing, the what is very clear in verse 24, um, that there's hope that God is going to make all things right and deal with sin Mm -hmm. um, and to to give righteousness. And so on the whole, um, what I hope people walked away from this sermon is having a better understanding of the how and why of prayer, um, and to root that in the character of Christ and to, uh, have a a joy in prayer, knowing that Christ is interceding for us even Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. I love, uh, Daniel chapter nine. And one of the things that I like about it is how Daniel, as you said, uh, sort of imaging Christ before Christ, uh, takes on the role of his people. Um, I think, one of the questions I had as I walked away from your sermon was, uh, how 
how or are we uh, supposed to do like corporate confession or, um, you know, sort of like this group confession? Because Daniel here is confessing on behalf of his people. Uh, and to be totally honest, that makes me pretty nervous. <laughs> and I think that's because there's so many bad examples of this today. Mm-hmm. You you often hear of, um, say, priests filling sort of like a civic office um, more than a actual priestly or religious office, and they confess things that the way they confess them, it seems that they are disassociating themselves with that. But yeah. here you have Daniel uh, associating himself with the people. Yeah, again, he uses we or our over 20-something times in this prayer. Mm-hmm. Um and he's using scriptural categories. And so mm-hmm. I think that's um, a little different than maybe what we see in a, a priest, you know, being a, a civic prayer, mm-hmm. um, dissociating himself from the prayer. Now, mm-hmm. Daniel steps in and um, associates with his people. And I think that's, um, again, what we see Christ doing. Yeah. Uh, he comes and associates with us as fallen, sinful humanity. Um, and takes on and bears our sin. Um, and so that's that's what we see Daniel doing. He steps into it. He owns the, the sins of his people as his own and lifts them up to God. It makes me think of Jesus' baptism, where uh, when Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, he comes up to the river where all these people are being baptized and confessing their sins. Uh, and I once, I can't remember who it was, but I once heard somebody um essentially say, imagine putting on like metaphysical goggles and you stick those on, you can see beyond the physical realm and you can see, you know, what, you know, all sorts of different aspects of what's taking place in there. And he goes, imagine looking at that river as people are confessing their sins and then metaphorically, or even we could say metaphysically being cleansed of their sins in the Mm -hmm. river. That's what's taking place. And then Jesus goes in without any sins to confess and dunks himself in the river. And what is he doing? He's bathing himself essentially in their confessions, associating himself with their sin, as as you just said. And obeying obeying Mm -hmm. God's command in the process. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that that leads me to think about, uh, that you touched on in your sermon, I think would be good to reflect on a bit is, um, you talked about using scripture as a template for our prayer. And I think a lot of people struggle with prayer and this is something that really helped me in my prayer life. So I think it'd be good to sort of unpack this concept. Yeah. So I mentioned a a book that we'll talk a a little bit about later, but praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Mm -hmm. Um, fantastic book that kind of outlines what this thing looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're taking a psalm or many of the prayers of Paul, um, or even something like the Lord's Prayer, and using that as a template or a lens through which you pray, uh, that does not necessarily mean praying the exact words uh, of the text just rotely and without mm-hmm. thinking about it. Sometimes you might pray the exact words of the text, um, but that's not the point. The point mm-hmm. is taking the truths that are there, the principles that are there, and using them as a grid for your prayers. So in the sermon, I talked about James 1.5, um, that James says, you know, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. So if I want to use that text to shape my prayer, um, I began praying, God, Thank you so much for, for this truth um, that I can ask you for wisdom 
Um, God, I am asking for wisdom in this particular situation that I'm in, and I know you want to give it to me. I'm going to pray mm-hmm. that confidently because you've told me in your word that I should ask for this and that you will give it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm praying this um, in faith, and I'm asking you to give me wisdom so that you might be glorified uh, in this decision that I'm making. Um, we talk about Philippians. Um, you know, I'm confident that he who began a good work in, in me will be faithful to complete it mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus. So taking a text like that and saying, God, thank you so much for letting me know that you will you will finish what you started with mm-hmm. me. And man, I need it. I need you to continue working in yeah. my life in this situation. I need to grow in this. Um, you might be confessing sin there, that here's some areas that I need my life mm-hmm. um, to be more like you and more into your image. Um, but I can have hope knowing that you're not going to leave me where I am mm-hmm. and that you're con- you will continue to sanctify me and grow me um, more into your image. So th- those are just two tiny examples. But um, just reading and, and meditating on Scripture and allowing those to be your jumping-off point um, for even your specific prayer request you might have, um, allowing the, the text of Scripture to mold uh, the content, but even the, the shape and, and the how uh, of your prayer. Mm-hmm. So I asked the question on mm-hmm. Sunday, like, um, wouldn't you want to know that you were praying the will of God? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all do. We all want to pray the will of God. We don't yeah. want to pray something that's against God's will. Mm-hmm. Well, we can do that through praying the scriptures mm-hmm. um, and, and letting the scriptures mold and shape the content. Yeah. Tim Keller makes that book, uh, that point fantastically in his book that's titled Prayer, and I think it's Awe and Intimacy with God is the subtitle. Excellent book. Um, he points out that... Uh, Actually, it's praying the scriptures that can be really comforting to us, because what if God had to do everything that we prayed? (laughs) The thing is, God, being all-knowing and outside of time, he knows exactly what we need and what's going to take place. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the points of, we've looked at Daniel uh, 2, 4, 5, 7, 8, and all. We're going to look at 10 and 11 and and 12 in the preceding weeks, but all of those chapters have to do with peeking into the future and seeing these massive things that God's working out. So think about that for Mm -hmm. a second. Mm -hmm. If God had to do everything that we prayed, Mm -hmm. God would then become a puppet and we would become God. Yeah. Because we'd be controlling his actions and that that Mm -hmm. would not be a good thing. Well, and Keller's point is we don't know the future. So he gives the example of a prayer he prayed in seminary, which was he was really worried that his, um, I can't remember if his girlfriend or fiance was going to break up with him. And so he prayed fervently, like, Lord, I'm going into the ministry. I need her. Like, don't let her break up with me. Help with this work out. And prayed again and again and again. And lo and behold, she broke up with him and he was heartbroken. And then a few years later, he meets Kathy, his wife, and marries her. And now he can't imagine having gone through um, a, like, decade upon decade of faithful conservative evangelical ministry in New York City, one of the most secular places, without her by his side. Mm-hmm. And it's like she's a huge part of his ministry. So and it's like the, the the prophet Garth Brooks, right? <laughs> Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he like he points out we you don't know how things are going to turn out. So it's actually God not answering your prayers might be might be good, but what we want to do then is the only way we can pray and be comfortable in what we can pray is if we know we're praying God's will. Well, the only way to do that is to pray what he said. Right. 
And, and even, you know, the, the concept of starting with adoration or starting mm-hmm. by praying um, back to God who He is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not because God needs to be reminded of who He is. Mm-hmm. He knows who He is. But it, it shapes our posture mm-hmm. in, in starting with, God, you are holy, you are merciful, um, you keep your your um, promises to us. Mm-hmm. Just stating these things shapes the posture of of even how we, you know, make petitions or mm-hmm. asks of God. Um, you know, I might have this really selfish ask in mind, um, but after praying about God's grandeur and God's greatness, it might even help me to see my own selfishness, and it mm-hmm. might change what I ask for uh, by the time I get there. And so um, praying God's word helps root us in God's will. It helps root us in God's character and sometimes exposes our own um, selfishness or, or pride. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Um, one of the things as well is you talked about praying through God's character or having, having God's character shape your prayers. I think that's really important because it, it like you said, it refines us away from certain things. It, it also keeps us, or at least it keeps me, from becoming anxious when mm-hmm. I think about all the things that I want to pray for. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if I begin by just talking to God about who he is, uh, then I begin by not only doing that, but reminding myself that, you know, he's got this. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one thing that didn't make it into my sermon this mm-hmm. week, actually. Uh, I pointed out that there's two aspects to the adoration section, uh, that Daniel's praying about God's greatness and God's grace. Mm. Um, And so, man, if you have just spent time praying about God's greatness, um, it's going to seem really odd to follow that with a small prayer. Mm. Um, And so that's one thing I didn't really talk about, but um, starting with God's character and starting with praying God's greatness spurs us to pray big prayers, mm-hmm. which I think is what God wants us to do. Um, he is great, and He is full of grandeur. And so He wants us to ask of Him great things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes, me, uh, it makes me as well think of, I was doing some devotional reading recently in the book of Revelation, and uh, when the Lamb, Jesus, opens the scrolls in Revelation chapter 5, uh, there are these um, beings and elders, angelic beings and elders around the throne, and they say, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and blessing. And I was looking at a commentary on that, and the com- the commentator just simply pointed out, and I thought this was really profound as to why we pray God's character back to him, is he said, well, you realize uh, the first four of those things we can't give him. Hmm. Um, you know, we can't give the lamb power and wealth and wisdom and might. He's more powerful. He's richer, he's more wise, and he's more mighty. Those aren't things we can give him. Well, what then do we get to do? Because there are human elders around the throne praying this as well, or singing this as well. And he goes, well, then the last three things, that's our role, which is honor and glory and blessing. Okay, well, how do you honor, glorify, and bless God? Well, really, I can't think of anything better to say to God than what he's already told me he's like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so just repeating back to God in that sense uh, who he is. And, you know, the classic place to look for this is uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, This is, that's really where I first encountered it through the writings of Martin Luther and how God uh, addresses us 
uh, or Jesus teaches us to address God as both Father and Holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that does basically what you're talking about, is it, it does the same thing as greatness and grace, right? Right. Yeah. And, and in many ways, that's not only in prayer, but in worship through song. That's mm-hmm. what we're doing as well. We're yeah. singing truths about who God is mm-hmm. that, that actually shapes us and molds yeah. us and reminds us of the, the glory and the grandeur of God. Um, and in doing that, in, in worshiping God in truth, uh, we actually are, like you said, bringing honor to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this great section in a, there's a book called Worship Matters by Bob Coughlin. And uh, there's a section in there on what it means to worship God, not just in spirit, but in truth. Mm-hmm. And he tells this hilarious story, um, a, a fictional story about his son, Jordan. He says, imagine, you know, that... I showed up to Starbucks and this guy came up and started talking about my son, Jordan. And he was like, yeah, your, your son, Jordan's awesome. You know, he's a, a six foot two tuba player who loves cooking pasta. And he lists all these other just mm-hmm. ridiculous things. Yeah. He's like, but then I, I would give this guy a funny look because that doesn't describe my son at all. Mm-hmm. Like though his name is Jordan, he's, you know, five foot something and he plays the guitar, not the tuba. Mm-hmm. He loves eating pasta, but he's never made pasta in his life. And mm-hmm. you're just like, but imagine if that guy just continued to say, yeah, but your son Jordan's awesome. And he continued to extol a six foot two tuba playing uh-huh. pasta cooking son. Yeah. That wouldn't honor Jordan. And, and right. his point is like, I think you would actually appreciate Jordan, the real Jordan more if you knew what he was actually really mm-hmm. like. Um, yeah. And so I think the same's true in our prayer that as we begin to pray, true things about God, it honors him. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this isn't because God has forgotten who he is. Mm-hmm. He knows who he is. Um, but it reminds us of who he is, and it molds and shapes our hearts. There's a huge apologetic point that I am resisting chasing down about the difference between uh, Allah and Yahweh there, which would be super fascinating, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> because you also brought up in your sermon... Uh, this really critical point, I think, for our formation and kind of like soul care in terms of our relationship to God, that Jesus is our intercessor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a theological point that there are these sort of, they're not minor points of doctrine, but they're not the headliners mm-hmm. that, that get usually books written about them and whole sections in, you know, the Christian bookstore and Amazon for them. Uh, but they are so uh good and helpful to meditate on and to think about and to mull over in our heads. And Jesus as our intercessor is one of those. Uh, so I would love to just hear a little bit more about what it means that Jesus is praying on our behalf, that he's interceding for us. Yeah. So there are a couple of texts, one in Hebrews, I'm trying to, to pull it up here, uh, Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. Uh, It says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So he's making the point there that the former priests aren't eternal. Mm -hmm. Um, They're prevented by death from continuing in office. Then it says, but he, meaning Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So he's eternal. And then verse 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Mm. Um, similarly, Romans eight thirty four it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so um, the truth there is that Christ is alive and he's eternal. And so he is sitting at the right hand of God, um, speaking truth um, about what he's done for us mm-hmm. in his, his work on the cross and in his death, burial, and resurrection. So as we are praying, um, he's there at the right hand of God, um, praying on our behalf, reminding God of what he did for us in atoning for us. Mm-hmm. Um, on our own, we don't deserve to have God hear our prayers. Um, yeah. He doesn't have to hear our prayers because we are unholy. Um, but Christ is there reminding God that he died for us and that we are in him made holy and made right. Um, and he is, is presenting our prayers before the Father. Um, there in, in Romans 8, I believe, too, it talks about even when we don't know what to pray, mm-hmm. that Christ is there praying for us and interceding for us. Mm-hmm. And he knows what, what to pray on our behalf. And so there's just great comfort in that, uh, that, that we don't have Daniel as our intercessor, but we have Christ. Right. Um, and so there's, there's just such great comfort and encouragement in that, that even in making confession, that we're not making confession as people who are going to be smote by God, mm-hmm. um, but we're making confession um, as Christ is interceding for us and reminding God of what he did for us. And so we can rest in that, knowing that he hears our prayers and that uh, our, our prayers are, are being, um, for lack of a better word, transferred through Christ to God the Father. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, I want to go one more question uh, before we start to wrap up, and that's you pointed out at the end of Daniel chapter 9 um, that we have two of the hardest verses in the entire book. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we're sitting at your desk, and you have a bunch of commentaries on your desk. I have a bunch of Daniel commentaries on my desk, and all of them made this comment. So it must be true because eight different writers agreed on it. Uh, now, we've talked a bunch about praying the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I wonder is if we're encouraging people uh, to read the Bible, to pray the Bible, you imagine somebody in our church sitting down with Daniel chapter 9, you know, the week before your sermon, and they're trying to do their quiet times in here and look for something to pray for, and they come to verses 26 and 27. What sort of advice would you give somebody who is trying to read the Bible devotionally and encounters just completely baffling scriptures? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, one, I would always recommend praying what's clear <laughs> um, instead start. of praying what's confusing. So even in that section, verse 24, uh, as we're talking about the last four verses of Daniel 9, all the commentators say these are the hardest verses in scripture to interpret, but there is clarity in some mm-hmm. places. So verse 24, it says, 70 weeks. Okay, we're, that, that's confusing what the 70 weeks is. Mm-hmm. A lot of disagreement on there. So we might not be praying about the 70 weeks or the timing. Mm-hmm. 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city. Um, and here are the, the list of, of several things that are going to happen. Uh, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place or holy one. Um, man, e- even though there might be confusion about the timing of when those things are going to happen, you could pray through 
the clarity right there and say, thank you, God, that you are going to finish transgression. Mm -hmm. Um, We live in such a broken world where transgression is rampant. But thank you that there's going to be an end to that and you're going to finish it. Um, You're going to put an end to sin. Thank you, God, for atoning for iniquity. I'm in my own life. Uh, I'd be done for if my sins weren't atoned for in Christ. Uh, Thank you that I can be made clean and can be declared righteous because of Christ's atonement. Um, so you, you see, you see yeah. my point, like taking these things that are clear and praying these truths to God, thanking him for these truths um, to bring in everlasting righteousness is the next one. You might pray something like, God, I, I pray for that day. I pray that you would bring forth everlasting righteousness. I look around our, our city. I look around our world and I don't see everlasting righteousness. I see mm-hmm. people who are defaming your name. So, God, I pray that you would do that so that you might be glorified and magnified greatly. Um, so, taking this difficult text and, and praying the things that are clear, and I, I in many senses, would say um, moving on. If you're stuck and you mm-hmm. you don't know what a, a thing means, move on. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but I would also caveat that with we live in a day and age where we are so blessed uh, with resources. Um, you know, we can go online and find commentators on these texts. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your study Bibles have great footnotes on a text mm-hmm. like this. I'm sure there's even like whole pages explaining the different views here. Hmm. And so um, put some sweat into it. Mm-hmm. Do Do your homework. Um, but if you don't understand it, it's okay. Um, in you know the book of First Peter or Second Peter, I don't remember which one it is, mm-hmm. but Peter says that he's basically reading the letters of Paul and he finds them very confusing. <laughs> and so that's encouraging. Peter's reading Paul and saying, "There's some hard things to understand there." Mm-hmm. And so if you find it confusing, it's okay. You're in good company. Um, to to be completely honest, as I was studying this text, I found it very confusing too. And and uh, even after reading common commentators on, on this section, it was hard to understand. And so it, it's okay. Um, the most important things in scripture are clear. The things that we would say we swing over hell on, mm-hmm. the things that are most important for our salvation and our life with Christ are abundantly clear in scripture. And so uh, I would say, one, don't ever... Um, I guess, base your theology in a confusing text like this. Mm. Use other more clear texts to bring clarity to texts like this. Um, And use the resources that are at your disposal. Mm -hmm. Well, with that then, why don't we just throw out a couple of resources that would be helpful for growing in prayer or for studying the Bible uh, when they hit something confusing like this? Do you have anything in mind? Yeah, so uh, we already mentioned Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. That'd be the number one resource for this type of thing. Uh, But a couple of other resources uh, by D.A. Carson. This one's called A Call to Spiritual Reformation, um, or Praying with Paul. Um, Again, really helpful um, on what it looks like to take Paul's prayers and to pray them, um, pray pray them through the lens of Scripture. Uh, another little book by Al Mohler, uh, it's called The Prayer That Turns the World Upside Down. And it's really him looking at what it would look like for us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Mm. Um, another really helpful short resource 
on that. Well, let me throw in um, two more. One, just in terms of general study, uh, go to esv.org and you can sign up for a Crossway account where you can have access online to the ESV Bible with the ESV study Bible notes along with you can pay just a couple of dollars and get access to a bunch of other study Bibles. But one of the reasons why I point that out is because then you will have a Bible with a search bar up in the top corner. Because one of the things Drew and I constantly talk about is biblical theology. And one of the easiest ways to do that is simply look for where other uh, instances of particular words or thoughts are coming up. And so all you have to do is just type the thing you're looking in, uh, looking at up into the search bar. Like, what does it mean that God's holy? Well, type holiness or holy into the search bar and then just read some passages where God's holiness is described. And you could easily then find uh, some fodder for some prayer. And the second resource I want to throw out um, is... Uh, called The Barber Who Wanted to Pray. And since Fantastic we, uh, we're sticking with short books for this podcast, <laughs> this is a kid's book um, that's very understandable. I have a son who's five years old, and I read it with him uh, pretty frequently. He loves this book, but what it does is it walks through how Martin Luther taught his friend Peter the Barber how to pray by praying the Lord's Prayer and praying the Ten Commandments. Which is a true story. Which is a true story. Uh, so you have no excuse why, uh, why you shouldn't be able to do this because that's like 15 pages and it's mostly pictures. Um, but with that, we will wrap it up. Uh, so thank you for joining us for this iteration of the Santa Cruz Baptist podcast. Have a good rest of the week.